Let's go. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Benchtown TV's coverage of Amazon's The Wheel of Time. So our instant reaction to episode five, Blood Calls Blood, is out. We have both audio links and a YouTube video. If you want to see these handsome men discussing our new favorite television show, this episode will be a little bit different. This is our deep dive episode where we will dive into all of the more intricacies of the plot, the character relationships, and have fun discussions about what we think things mean and what they mean for the future. Just to lay out the organization of this episode a little more, we like to break the episodes into separate storylines. So we're going to start by talking about everything that happens in the White Tower and dealing with the Aes Sedai. We'll then move into talking about Matt and Rand. And we'll finish up with my boy Perrin and Egwene and their whole storyline with the White Cloaks and that bastard child Valda. And definitely just stick with us with the naive stuff because she's kind of a storyline hoe. She's passed around all, all through. So she's going to be it might not make sense the ordering of the scenes we talk about with her. But, you know, we're going to get the points across. I like to think of her more as a world hopper yeah. for all of the Cosmere fans out there. I'm going to refer, refer to anyone that jumps timelines like this as a world hopper. Okay. That was a little shade on my knees. She did ho. I guess. Not, not negative about her character. <laughs> but hold on. I do want to bring up at this point because we haven't actually been doing this. And I usually like to do this where I bring up the IMDb rating of episodes as we go through just the, the critic consensus is usually IMDb, sometimes Rotten Tomatoes. But I like to just see what the general pulse of the fandom is. And for this episode, Blood Calls Blood, it got an 8 out of 10, which ties the second highest of the season. Basically, every episode except for episode one was 8 or higher, with episode four being a 9. So obviously, it's a universal um, consensus that that was the best episode. And I agree with that. But Paul has a different opinion. He likes this episode more. But this one, again, above average, great television. And yeah, so 8.0. I said I could see myself like this more. I I don't I just I don't know. The story's so good. The more the farther you get and the more shit that gets revealed and the characters coming into themselves, it's it's amazing. Um I I said on the instant reaction that this episode was phenomenal. Um and I mean, I don't know. I guess four slightly ahead. Mm-hmm. Um but I mean this literally takes off right after four. Which was kind of nice. Like you, we saw like the aftermath of that battle, and then burying everybody in the shape of a wheel. Yep. <laughs> Just pointing that out. Actually, Emily pointed that out, and it pissed me off <laughs> because I didn't think of it. So shout out, Emily. I thought it was a eight's a, a fair rating for me. I gave it a seven in our instant reaction, and I would be okay with jumping it to an eight, especially after my extra watch of it. But overall, the show continues to exceed my expectations as a non-book reader, non-story knower of everything. Like I've been really enjoying it so mm-hmm. far. Paul mentioned the opening scene being the funeral with all the bodies in the shape of the wheel. So we move on from the funeral and we get a nice little timeline jump. So we end up being one month after the events of episode four. And this scene shows us just a very quick conversation between Moraine and Lan. It's just another, just really solidifying the closeness to them. I like Moraine, how she says that, you know, the saddle is home, these boots, this horse, this brooding man at my side. I, I really like that. And it kind of also sets the scene for the entire episode where they wonder if Nynaeve is going to be okay in the tower. And they also wonder if Stepan is going to be okay now that he's lost his eyes to die. Yeah, because my boy looks rough. 
as he should. It's been a month of just mourning and he's just defeated. He doesn't have any reason to be happy. Like his, his closer than parent and child relationship partner just got murdered and he is just destroyed mentally. Yeah. Pretty good facial acting here. He just looks depressed. And Emily, my second watch through was Emily's first watch. And she goes, man, he looks like he wants to kill himself. <laughs> and I was just like, mm. <laughs> there, uh, there's a lot of foreshadowing in this episode, even to just events that happen at the end of this episode, events that will happen in the season, events that will happen further on in the series. So this is a fun one to pick apart and it will be a fun one to look back on. Like I said on the instant reaction. Mm-hmm. And before we move on, I will also say, speaking of people that look terrible, Loghain looks awful. He has a rope around his neck. He's kind of fallen sideways in the saddle. He's just kind of lost himself as well. So we move into the White Tower. Moraine and Land bring Nynaeve to the Warder's Quarters. Paul got a kick out of that, I believe, when we watched this past time. We get some cool bits of dialogue here between Moraine and Nynaeve. Moraine drops the spy network line, which is cool. We already kind of knew that. She has ears everywhere. Um, and then we also have Ni- uh, Moraine explaining the fact that Nynaeve's coming in here hot-headed and she needs to relax, take a step back. These goddess of women's that have these powers that are putting them on, like I said, God level, they have been doing this for years and years. They're political masters. They all have weaknesses. They all have strengths. They all have their own personal agendas. Nynaeve can't just come in here and start fucking shit up thinking she knows better just because she had a surge of power. So that's just like setting the scene as the bar of how independent and strong all of these different Aes Sedai are outside of their colors. They're not just like Harry Potter. They're not just going to cookie cutter fit into each of their different colors and just be that. They each have their own intricacies and we see that a lot in this episode. I like too how Nynaeve kind of battles back against Moraine's like suggestions here just saying, you know, after what we saw last episode with the power awakening, she's like, I can handle my own shit now. Like if everyone's so worried about my powers now, like there's a reason for that. And so she's building a little bit more confidence in herself as someone who actually is stronger than what she thought originally of herself to be. She literally says like, you will get swept up in the tower politics. And that would just be so intimidating for me personally. Like, Oh dude, like here we go. Politics, like do play the game, do the dance, like save (laughs) face and all that other stuff. That would suck. So she's getting really thrown in there. Um, Oh, but it's not the game. You'll find out about the game probably next season or something. I have a question um, about the scene leading into this. We see them coming through the town. Everybody, you know, sees the false dragon in the cage. Um, weren't Lan and Moraine kind of supposed to be in that? They show that happening after. Okay. So they're, they're it's, not it's in understood. the possession yeah. of like showing off. That's just Leandrin. Because that's like her sect of the Aes Sedai. Yeah. It, okay. Basically, they, they, there's a line in the beginning of the scene that says Moraine tells Nynaeve they're in the warders' quarters because this is kind of the farthest place from all of the sisters they were with. Okay. So I, it, to me, that seemed like they kind of almost snuck off and got her into the White Tower before all of the hubbub of the procession through the streets. Plus, yeah. it's like not Moraine's jam. She's not going in the public eye. She's yeah. like more of in the background. It makes sense, too, if she's trying to keep Nanine for like low key. Yeah. She wouldn't want to literally bring her on a parade through the town. Plus, those Aes Sedai that were sent south to deal with the whole war and the false dragon were ex- like known by the people of Tarvalon. And when they came back, like Moraine wasn't supposed to be in that procession anyway. So it's not like the people would have known because she's always doing her own shit. Yeah, and there's a really nice little part of this scene where Maureen kind of 
says it without saying it, but she kind of reads naive like a book and that it's all right to be afraid. People who discover they can channel are obviously shocked at first. Moraine is basically saying, I've been there before. We've all been there. It's okay to feel afraid, but don't let you know the fear overtake you. Like This is a gift. This is a blessing, and you should see it that way, which I thought was a nice little personal interaction that they have. The line that she says where naive that is says, if I am as powerful as you say, and maybe it's you that should be afraid of me. Are they saying you're powerful in the sense that you can touch the one power or you're powerful in the sense that you are the DR, the well, dragon? Reborn? Remember, we had the conversation a couple of podcasts ago. I think Kyle was the one that cleared it up saying you're kind of born with a ceiling of the uh, power yeah. usage. Okay. So it's it's more about using your power efficiently and effectively. So if naive has that inc- insane potential. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, I believe that it was taken that way and that she has this larger reservoir of power inside of her. Yeah, okay. she ain't shit to train Aes Sedai right now. Yeah, yeah, I that's a good explanation. Like, they, they're they saying, hey, this is your first time, like, really touching it, and you were able to do this, so that means you have high potential, I guess. Yes. Okay, that makes sense. So, obviously, Nynaeve's getting a little restless in the room, and in pops Leandra in the red. And every time she's on the screen, I'm loving it. She just is such a shysty person. Her facial acting is just awesome. And she has this conversation with Nynaeve about, again, it's always about the incredible potential that she has, right? Like Nynaeve is just, she seems like such a hot topic in Tarvalon right now. Um, but their personalities are at odds. But we also get a little bit into Leandrin's. She explains a little bit more about her reasoning of why she hates men. And again, she never says she hates men. She just talks around it in a way that that is the conclusion but what her whole thing is is that she doesn't like that men around the world if they see a little girl with potential that for them to be greater than them they don't look they don't look kindly on it so she's just hardcore feminist a little bit right well kyle was saying a few episodes ago i was talking about leandrin and and why she is like she is and I was saying, oh, maybe she has a crazy backstory. Kyle confirmed. Yeah, she's got she's got a pretty dark past. So this might be a little glimpse into it because it seemed like Leandrin was speaking from experience firsthand of a man who was afraid that Leandrin was to pass him. That's probably it. Yeah. So I I, the way that she kind of like looked down and like kind of looked distracted, it seemed like she was remembering. And this could be like our Mm -hmm. first glimpse into why Leandrian views men and the world that the way she does. Yeah. It's gonna, just more layers for Leandrian. I'm going to put money on it that it was her father. That's my guess is who wronged her in her past is her father. Say so it's her stepfather. Okay. Wow. <laughs> Daddy, what are you doing? <laughs> so I do think that line that she says about, she basically implies that men have all the power in the world. I think that's a case of not really an unreliable narrator, but it's just her perspective on the world. I feel like it's fairly obvious that women have a ton of power in this world, especially her. I mean, she basically rides around the countryside without any type of authoritative oversight and is gentling men. Like, there's obviously a lot of power in that. I just think her worldview and perspective is distorted by her own bias. When she talks like that, it to me it means more like men hold more positions of potentially power. They, you know, they have a lot more jobs than women. Like, if you're not going to have the ability to touch the one power as a woman, I'm sure your duties would probably fall more in like cleaning kind of stuff, which is just you're, not... more, you're the more traditional female in fantasy right, ex- stories if you don't have the power. Exactly. And that's what I'm sure Leandrin was meant that in my mind, that's yeah. what she was referring to. That honestly, this line surprised me because I thought just from the first few episodes, the first four, it seemed to me that woman, women almost held 
more power than men. Um, when Emily was asking me questions and sh- about the show you know, on my second watch through and it was her first, I was saying, you know, yeah, like women kind of run shit. So like the way I interpreted it, like at the two rivers, it seemed like the women kind of were in charge of running that village and the Aes Sedai, it's obviously all women. So this line really kind of laid the background for me that there actually is other men of power. I'm sure we're going to meet them. Mm-hmm. That's what I was getting at, and that it's an unreliable narrator. It's her perspective of the world. But if you take an objective view of like, if you want to tally the number of Aes Sedai and queens in the world versus mm. kings, there's so many more women really? in positions of power across the world. It's like unbelievable. That's what I thought. And also the fact that there's an organization of women that can touch the one power and men pretty much aren't allowed to even touch it. It's just like they actually, as in the words of Tam Althor, they pull the strings of the world, essentially. The, the way she said it, too, is she said men still hold too much power. So maybe she thinks men should have like 1% and women should have 99 But in reality, they have like 30%. Men have like 30%. And it's important to mention here, too, that I think is it in this conversation where she's like, essentially, for the most part, no red Ajas have warders. But like, it sounded like a, a select few of them have some warders. No, red don't. Red don't. Okay. Because it seemed like a sentence after she had mentioned that reds have no warders that she was like, some do. But it I, was Nynaeve who says that, like, we don't, because you guys don't have warders because you don't like men, basically. Mm-hmm. And it, it's pretty much a thing that, yes, they don't have warders. Yeah, I thought that was, obviously, that's of importance for the whole faction. So I just wanted to point that out. The biggest line of the episode, we get that the Persimmons are in season. Yeah. When Nynaeve goes to the garden, you know what that means, right? Trollocs, Trollocs are in mating season. That means they're super aggressive and they're going to kill you. So don't go around <laughs> Trollocs. So I think that line actually does have meaning in that persimmons, when they are fully ripe, are very likely to turn red. And I think it was a little bit more of like a like a psychological thing, like, go check out the persimmons, like putting the color red in front of Nynaeve. It's a theme of Leandrin's episode that she's trying to recruit Nynaeve yeah. to be a red. No, that's a good thought, but you're wrong. Okay. <laughs> it's more about the trolley. No, that's awesome. I didn't know that was. That's actually really cool. I didn't. That, that but let's continue on the same vein, because right after that, the next conversation Leandrin has is with Moraine about, again, recruiting Nynaeve, because it's all about Nynaeve in this episode with the politics. And this is awesome because they are just testing each other. There's so many layers to this conversation. And Moraine's the best because she just does not take shit from Leandrin. But at the same time, Leandrin is still confident in what she's saying and she knows she has a plan. So again, layers and layers and layers. And uh, Leandrin's pretty convinced that Nynaeve will end up choosing the red because of Moraine's um, reputation of always leaving. If she's not around, how is she going to groom and, and plant her fingers in Nynaeve and guide her in a certain way while Leandrin's flaunting? I'm always here, bitch. Like, I'll make sure that girl is with us. Did you just say plant her fingers in Nynaeve? Wow, I think I might have. <laughs> Did drinking. you say big meat? <laughs> Tam? Tam? Lamb? <laughs> Moraine's clapback, though, is great in that she takes it from a personal standpoint in that she knows Nynaeve better than Leandrin, even though they've only known each other for about a... She actually probably only knows Nynaeve maybe a week more than Leandrin does at this point, but she understands that Nynaeve is a healer at heart. They actually bring up the Yellow Aja, which we've talked about a little bit before. It is going to be our healing faction. Thank God. Thank God what? That I they finally love, talked about yeah, it? Love yeah, more colors. Give me more colors. <laughs> yeah, so she basically... Moraine says to her, a wisdom from the two rivers... Do you really think she's going to end up being from the red Aja? Like, there's no way she would pick the red, which is sweet. 
My money is still on green. If Nynaeve does become a nice guy, it's green. Because she wears green already. So I'm, that's the only reason I'm basing it to that faction. Yeah, they were, they were saying yellow because, you know, her first touch. But I don't Because know. they pitched that idea, there's no way that's... Yeah, right? I, I would have thought of it if, if they didn't say that. But I, but I uh, I'm curious to see if there are any other colors or you know different factions and all possibilities but from right now i kind of i want to agree with dave that i think she would just go green and just get out there and fight to explore the idea of her wearing green she has been wearing a yellow skirt so she's been buttoning the jacket fully which has been covering the skirt often but in the first scene when they actually are in the warder's quarters the jacket's a little bit more unbuttoned and you can see her full skirt and it is yellow so even in her clothing you can see the war almost that's going on inside of her head and that is she going to pick green or yellow was it unbuttoned because she was teasing land a little bit it could have been like show a little shoulder <laughs> is that, that's why he Probably. left the room he got a little bit too hot and bothered moraine gave him a look was like get the fuck out of here <laughs> going back to like episode one though when Nynaeve was the one to go and confront land coming into the inn and like she was the one grabbing her knife ready to like fight fighting the trollic in episode one episode one was so good looking back at it um I yeah, she is kind of a fighter, so I, I think she would go green as of right now. So the last little political scene that we get is another Maureen conversation. It's a lot friendlier of a conversation. It's her and Alana in Maureen's room. They're kind of laying on the bed. I just like the casual, friendly feel to it a little Dude, bit. So much. Yeah, Alana's just, you know, popping fruit in her mouth, is <laughs> trying to probe a little bit, but keeping it casual. Alana is so charming on screen. I think she's great. And she is so, it seems like she's good hearted. Moraine keeps questioning why she's questioning her, which that's just Moraine. Everyone, no one knows anything what's going on in her head. So I think that's fine. But yeah, they have the whole history behind themselves. They're, they're childhood novice friends when they were both Aes Sedai and all that stuff. But just, I, I don't know. I like it all. And she's so down with the conversation about potentially having Stepan join her group too. Like she just seems like a good Aes Sedai and I like her a lot. I'm glad you mentioned that because Alana crossed the I like her threshold for me when yeah. she was just saying I would love to adopt Stepan, but I'm and she was even getting his perspective too, like, but I don't know if he's ready because he still has those feelings for uh Karene. Mm-hmm. So I like Alana as a character, absolutely, and I hope we can see a little bit more of her going forward. Yeah, like you guys were talking about the feel of the conversation. It seemed like they were like old, old friends. They've been around they were very comfortable around each other and they seemed like they were able to share things between themselves that they wouldn't share with other sisters. But at the same time, Moraine wasn't sharing too much because she was trying to probe. She was like, well, what are you doing? And she was like, all right, like this isn't, this is interrogation at this point. This isn't casual talking. The heavy hitting political lines in this scene turn out to basically be Alana is saying that the Amarlin seat who it hasn't been too explicit yet, but that is the name. That's the title of the leader of the Aes Sedai. Her name is Swan Sanche. Sanche. Okay, so the Amarlin seat is what I'm going to be calling her. She is returning from a different city, a bigger city, Camelin. We haven't been introduced to that spot yet. And she's warning Moraine that the politics are bubbling up in Tarvalon and there is potentially going to be an uprising. And she's saying that, Moraine, you were one of the only people that could challenge Leandrin for the seat. If it, it if it does come to that point, and obviously Marine doesn't really have political aspirations, she doesn't care about this. She's she's more bigger picture, but that's just some things that I know are going to have to be deeply explored. And hopefully, the next episode about the Amarlin seat and like what's going on with 
who's leading, like what Leandrin's real plans are and stuff like that. In that scene, you said that she was commenting on Moraine saying that she was going to compete. You just said she was going to compete with Leandrin for the throne. I took it as like Moraine is the only one strong enough to fight the current Amelin seat. I think it, it does go both ways. Both ways. Because okay. she says it in the context of you're the only one who has the power to kind of go toe to toe with the Amarlin seat. Mm. But she also says that Leandrin is gaining a lot of power right. okay. in the in the tower. Even so, outside of the red Aja, which is yeah. important. Yeah. And so it, it sounds like Alana doesn't fuck with the Amarlin seat either, okay. you know? Mm. So it sounds like to me, if we were to in no order rate the three strongest Aes Sedai right now, for me, it would be Amelin seat, Moraine, and Leandrin. Is that two, three, Moraine, and then Leandrin? No, no, I said no order, no order for oh, that. I just think, okay, if you want me to do an order, it's Amelin seat. Armelin. Amelin. Amelin. I'm missing the R. word, even the Amer- spelling. Amelin seat is number one, then Moraine, then Leandrin, based off that conversation, is how the Aes Sedai strength totem would go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll just look the ball for All that. three, you look, you snapped your neck. Amerlanian seat. <laughs> one. And then I, it's hard to tell, but I would say right now I wouldn't put Moraine or Leandrin above one another just because I haven't seen Leandrin go. I've seen Moraine go pretty hard back to episode one. It was a good episode. All right. So that, I believe, wraps up a lot of our political talk with the Aes Sedai. Is everyone OK with moving on now? No. The last thing in that scene, we have Moraine kind of looking into a oh, mirror. Yes. yes. Slash, it wasn't a mirror. I thought it, was like, it, was like a cl- I thought it looked it like a, a clock almost and that you could open like. <laughs> wow. We got yeah. unbelievably different. All things. we know is that there was like a miniature door in the wall. She opens this mini door and there's a painting there of what looks like some the lady back of a girl, right? Yeah, It was like the back of a girl. It was like the uh, that meme of Rolf from um, that, what is it from Ed, Ed and Eddie when he's like looking out the window. Uh, okay, I like, knew what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's like staring longingly out, yeah. outside the window. It was like that. It was like a painting of that meme. Okay. I, I got the sense that she was either trying to like keep an eye on somebody or like... Do you think it's like a pensive? Still wanted to communicate with somebody. Yeah, like I, I couldn't tell if it was like a security camera looking Ooh, down on somebody guess. or if it was a way of communication like they could look back. But Moraine... Speaking of Ed, Ed, and Eddie looking out longingly, she, when staring, seemed like she there was a lot of emotion behind her and was also looking out longingly. So it looked like I don't it know was if it like was a shot of family of, or what. Like I thought it was like a, it looked like an almost identical shot of what Moraine was doing. Like it looked like, like the woman was looking like it almost was just like intro. Like I know what you mean infinity I, kind I'm, of. It, you just convinced me. I think it's a magical item, and I have no idea what it's doing, but I think it's magical. I think, think it's, it's a, like recording. I, the room no i don't think it's no. anything to do with recording <laughs> well I think you said I, it was like moraine like, no i just wanted to make that comment that it looked like it was moraine doing what she was exactly doing in that scene but i think it was more of maybe like a prophetic um picture rather than like an actual recording or something like i think it's like a prophecy related thing personally but i have no idea we'll revisit mm, yeah yeah that's just a big fat watch and find out yeah that's gonna be really funny to look back at this conversation uh, when we do find out what that it's is, it's gonna be funny because we're dead wrong. So it's not not me, suggest. probably yeah, not you, of course. It's a magical item. That's all I... I think we're good there. Okay, so now we can move on from all this political talk to a lot more of an emotional storyline. So, like we talked about when we discussed the opening scene of the episode, Stepan is struggling. The first thing that we kind of see him do is that he's getting prepared for Karene's funeral. So 
they already buried her body in a funeral at the beginning of the episode. It's more of a symbolic funeral mm-hmm. in that he has to go and deliver her ring to this kind of molten pot, it seems like, of all other Aes Sedai rings. I just thought that was an interesting little addition because I don't remember that happening in the books. No, I think it's confirmed that it was a show only thing, but I think it's a good idea because where the hell did all these rings come from? Yeah. And that's a great idea. And hopefully Egwene drops in the seven at one point that she stole from Valda. That'd be cool. Mm, did I forgot you did that? That's sweet. Yeah. Did uh did they call it the eternal fire, eternal flame? So the eternal flame is like a thing. Oh, um, it's not that though. It, I, I think in my eyes, the eternal flame is more of like a religious thing, like a, almost like a title and like a concept more than it's a physical thing. And I think that's actually is a nice way to interpret it that it's kind of this almost final resting place for all of the eyes to die. Okay, because so the, this is something separate. Yeah, the Amaryllin seed is also called the flame of Tarvalon. So, and then like it, there's a whole kind of we'll get into that a lot more. But I think that that is something that they were trying to do was bringing that concept to a more physical thing. It was almost like a fountain of molten ring, you know, metal. It was it was really cool. And I don't know what the rings are made out of, but if they're made out of an incredibly rare substance, then it makes sense that they just want to recycle and reuse this in, like very rare material. So it's to go along with the ceremony and tradition It's also kind of like a source of the Aes Sedai uh, history. I want to call myself out for something I said in the instant reaction. I said, I'm surprised that Stepin didn't kill himself earlier because of how much he looked like shit. But now I'm kind of realizing that, okay, he wanted to reach the White Tower so he could do this ceremonial burial for Karene rather than just like off himself like weeks ago and mm-hmm. not have that peace of mind for when he actually does commit Sapoko at the end of the episode. And that actually is a line in the beginning. Moraine says that to land that step into strong man. He'll do what needs to be done and bring Karene's ring okay. to the tower. So he does what he needs to. And then yeah. he gets out. Peace. <laughs> Peace. Yeah. When I first watched this episode, I liked this whole step in backstory and the warders kind of bonding. But the more times that I've watched the episode, I do feel like that scene was a little unnecessary because I feel like step ends up killing himself and yeah, we learned a lot about his backstory and how he meets Karene, but I part of me feels like that maybe like two to four minutes, however long that combo was in that room, could have been used better in other storylines. Mm-hmm. I feel like in especially in Matt and Rand's storyline, there's some like kind of rough cuts that happen where like maybe we could have fit in another scene to help it flow a little better. So, if he stepped and ended up being in Alana's being Alana's warder, that would have been more worth it because it would have kept him fleshed out. Yeah. I, now that you're saying it like that, I kind of agree. I 100% didn't even put anything in my notes about his background because I was in my mind. I was just like, what's the point of exactly. introducing a dead character? Yeah. Know? At least on my second watch. Through. The first watch, through, if I was taking notes, my first watch, through, I would have. But going back, I was like, there's no need for this. I would argue that it just builds lands and Stepin's relationship more. Yeah. So the end of the episode, yeah. you understand why Lan is hitting his chest as hard as he is but we kind of double up on that because i feel like the conversation they have at night yeah, is when, perfectly fine to get that point across whatever. and i and i will like also say left this side yeah and also the other warder i don't know maybe to flesh out that his dad tried to kill him yeah but <laughs> something. how important is that really? <laughs> though, you know and i will say Stepin and karene are not main 14 book characters so they actually are prequel characters so by the time the main story starts, they're actually dead in the books. They die in the prequel. So I just 
thought it was interesting that they liked them so much and they added so much, I think, to the show and, and the story at this point, which doesn't happen in the books. I thought that was actually a really nice change. Yeah, it did suffer land, definitely. Yeah, and it's I feel like it was a really good way, like we've said, to show that water eye to eye relationship. So then the next thing that happens in the water storyline is arguably the most important, I would say, pieces of dialogue. Like it's so freaking riddled with good information. And the scene I'm referring to is when Lan walks in on Steppen going through his prayer ritual. And holy shit, man, there's good stuff all over the place here. We have him, Lan commenting on what Steppen's doing, saying, wow, like no one even makes offerings to ward off the Forsaken anymore. What are you doing? He's, and then Steppen chirps back saying it's something like with his culture or whatever. My mother, yeah. Yeah. But Jesus, man, pay attention to what's going on here because this is just this is just good world building, I think. We get a name drop of Ishmael. And was it a Ishmael, comma, father of lies or Ishmael and father of lies? I believe that it's a title they're giving Ishmael. Okay. Or Ish, yeah, Ishmael. And Ishmael is the one that Dana slash Maya brought up back before she died. Um, when she was saying one. that the last the last dark um, dark friend to bring the dragon to the dark one, we're talking about in 3000 years later. So we're bringing up Ishmael again. And clearly he's so well known. They have like icons and, and Steppens here doing a cultural ritual about warding them off. And then we get the line that says the forsaken have sold their souls to the dark one for eternal life. But they were sealed away by the last dragon. Yeah. That I honestly only caught on the second watch through on mm-hmm. um, and took notes on it on the third watch through because yeah. I was like, this is crazy. Eternal. The idea of eternal life and that it is possible. It's like, OK, shit. So people can be around for two cycles of the wheel, let alone like maybe more than that. So that's insane. And arguably, it's only dark friends. So that makes it like way scarier. That's mm-hmm. all we know of right now. Yeah, this is like an interesting line that they threw in here. I want to say that there might have been more in the bonus content that they release with each episode. So each actual episode they drop, there is a bonus episode that drops. It's like maybe like five to seven minutes. It's animated and it gives like lore. And one of the first ones is about, I believe, the dragon and the breaking of the world. I haven't watched it, though, unfortunately. So I don't know how much they go into it. But just to, I guess, lay a little bit more background about what they show us and don't tell us in this scene, there's eight idols. So they implied there's eight forsaken. They're obviously some type of beings that were associated with the Dark One. Like Paul said, they're known to have eternal life, but they've been sealed away. But they do have a nice little line here that says eternity is a very long time. Mm. So it's kind of setting us up. We don't really have any big bads i feel like yet in the story we have the trollocs and the fade is kind of like a being but we've talked about it a little bit and dave's harped on this that they are kind of like a leader and they can fight a little bit but they don't really have a personality that screams big bad to us we know the dark one but that's fairly ambiguous eyes of ember Mm -hmm. so it's just I, i like that they're setting these foundations for it but it's just very brief and i think they're going to really hit that hard as the story moves forward did they mention that ishmael was a forsaken yes okay so and i'm keep your eyes out for him so it doesn't yeah it doesn't have to be necessarily like a mist like a mystical being could literally just be a human and remind me again who the forsaken are from game of thrones is that that's is that related to Greyjoy? the forsaken are something from game of thrones aren't they I'm trying to think it's the drowned God and that's like all that's popping off my head. For, I, because the reason I'm bringing that up is because when I was reading the books for the first time I saw Forsaken, I was like, ah, Game of Thrones. 
but obviously they're way different kind of people in them. Tom Maryland and Ishmael put it out there. You know what that wow. is? That's so funny. This is a great catch from you, but that is uh, the title of a Euron Greyjoy chapter that's yes. from, from the Winds of Winter. That has not been released. That's not been released yet. yet. But that chapter is insane. <laughs> that chapter spawned like the whole um, Cthulhu, like Dark God, Euron Greyjoy theory. Yeah. yeah. We'll talk about that off pod. I'm just going to say that one more time. I think Tom Maryland is Ishmael. So. so you think that the dragon sealing away the forsaken is is like cracked. Hmm, Tom Merlin. That's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just I was just thinking it was mostly a joke, but the way that Tom Merlin says, you know, nothing is more terrifying than a man who knows history is like, all right, if you're eternal life, you've been around forever. You said he is Ishmael. Like you think Yeah, he is? but I mean it was it was more of a Mm-hmm. Uh, made you laugh. That'd be poetic because like Dana it. Dana wanted to become the next Ishmael, and then if you were right, that would mean Ishmael killed. Oh, Ishmael's like yeah. fuck you. That'd, <laughs> That'd be, be awesome. I do like the idea of Tom Marilyn potentially being a Forsaken, whether he is actually Ishmael or if he's maybe a Forsaken who ended up potentially being good. Maybe you know. So that, I think that's an interesting theory to bring up, Paul. I like that. As, even as ridiculous as you are when you say it, I think there's still some merit to it. That's going to be a fun one to look back on, too. Yeah. In yeah. Future episodes. That is probably the one of the things that sticks out the most for like Paul has been saying, even we're still in season one, looking back at episode one from this season, which was only four episodes ago. It's like, ah, oh, looking back at episode so good. That is going to happen a lot with this episode. Mm-hmm. So there's actually even more that happens in this scene because there's a transition from doing this ritual to now stepping in land or kind of having some tea together, just browing down, talking about the Steppen's potential in, uh, in banging two other men. He's never done it before, but you never know. Assuming they want you. What's not to want? <laughs> I, was fe- I was getting some sexual tension here to TBH. I really thought something was going to happen here between Steppen and Lynn. No. I swear I really was getting sexual, vibes. especially when they started talking about the three ways and stuff. I was like, and then uh, Lan either later or earlier is like, I'll stay the night. I'm like, whoa, you've been watching too many pornos. Yeah, maybe. Oh, my God. I don't know how to be with a man. Maybe I should practice. Rule 34 Lan. for Lan and Stepin. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm def- it's definitely out there. Oh, it has yep. to be. Now, definitely. To the subreddits. Yeah, I'm picking up my phone. Here we go. <laughs> but that idea gets kiboshed pretty quickly, yes, only yes. because Stepin brings up, hey, bro. Nynaeve's totally into you. What about that? Yeah. I just love this scene. It's such a like a true to form conversation between friends, between guy friends. Just step in kind of probing them like, dude, she totally likes you. Like, what do you think about that? And Lance, like, honestly, it's a terrible idea for her. I loved it because it was just further confirmation. Like you kind of got the idea between Nynaeve and Lance conversations that there was something there. Like they liked each other a little bit more than just, you know, everybody else. This confirmation was cool. And step in saying, hey, she touched the one power for the first time, pretty much over your bleeding body. Um, you know, that means something. It wasn't over somebody else's bleeding body was yours. And land being the good guy is just like, no, bad idea. Stay away from me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we pretty much talked about all, all there is to talk about with Stepin. He gets it. He's this is like his last supper kind of thing going on. He's he's reminiscing with a good friend. He drugs him with the stuff that he got from Nynaeve earlier in the episode. And then, yeah, the rest is written on the wall, right? We have Lan waking up, and this is just totally Lan's actor's time to shine for the whole rest of the episode in both finding Steppen in the state that he was in and then 
we'll talk more about this, but the whole ceremony itself was just, this was his episode of the season, like where he got to act the most emotional range. And I just had so much chills, especially the second time we just watched, like I, I was looking at my arms like, holy shit, man, I loved it. Rosamund Pike's acting too mm-hmm. at the very end, you know, everybody's in white and hitting their chests. We already said it before. I'll say it again. Wolf of Wall Street. Mm-hmm. I thought it was coming all the hums, but Moraine's her eyes tearing up seeing land because obviously she feels what he feels and and land just taking on the grief of everybody else and and portraying that over literally right over his dead friend it was it was very touching yeah I have two little fun nuggets I guess about the two scenes where Steppen committing suicide and then Steppen's funeral so Steppen the place where Steppen commits suicide holds significance those are all statues of warders. The statue he does it in front of is actually, so like I mentioned about maybe five, 10 minutes ago, that every episode has a bonus content animated episode. There is an episode, I believe it's associated with episode three called The Greatest Warder. And that is that statue. So some famous warder from history, that's who he committed suicide in front of that statue. That was one of my big questions is he obviously picked one. I wondered why. Um, I, I didn't know if it was an ice die from the green who like founded the green in memory of, oh my God, Terene, uh, Terene, or Paul's pronunciations. That should be a new segment we on this show. Paul's pronunciations. All the bloopers. Yeah. <laughs> You've been butchering Ishmael over there. So yeah, I Ishmael. wouldn't talk. Ishmael. Ishmael and Ishmael. Ishmael sounds like it's from the Bible, but that's what keeps going from that. There is a biblical reference there. Anyway. <laughs> And the second fun little nugget is about Steppen's funeral himself. So when I first watched this scene and they have this ceremony and Lan is beating his chest and almost crying and crying out, my first thought was like, what have they done to my boy? Because like I said a little bit on the instant reaction, at this point, Lan's like a superhero in the books. We get him from the Emmonsfield Five's perspective. So they see him as this just stone-faced man who just barely talks. He just is an indiscriminate killer almost of all of these dark friends and shadow spawn. And I was just kind of like, holy shit, like, why is he being like this? This is so emotional. This doesn't happen in the books like this. And looking more into it, someone mentioned this in a tweet that I saw. And then I looked into it on, uh, on Google and in, I believe it's Korean culture. There is an ancient funeral ceremony. Part of that ceremony is that, Someone is elected essentially like a chief mourner. And part of it is that they have a very special moment where after the body is dressed and prepared for burial, they are in their coffin and the chief mourner is kneeling next to the coffin, places their hand on the body and does what's called ritual wailing. So they kind of are a representation of everyone else's grief. They kind of shoulder that burden for everyone else. And it's kind of this just release of emotion. It's just showing how much you care about the person that is dead and the chief warder, I guess, for lack of a better term, that older man that says, I'll land Mandragoran, relieve us of our pain or whatever he ends up saying. So that's kind of part of the influence, I believe, of this scene. This is added as far as I know, like we've said before, I've never read New Spring. So but I'm fairly positive this doesn't happen in the books. And another little wrinkle to that is that Daniel Henney himself, who plays Lan, is half Korean. So just like my friend Dave Tauta here, his mother is Korean, his father is not, but he spent a lot of time in Korea with the beginning of his acting career and modeling. 
So I'm sure that he also had a little bit of influence on how this scene went down. I just love that, that they kind of listened to him and took a little bit of his input. And a third fun wrinkle to this is that Lan, the character that he plays, we heard in episode two, he's from the Borderlands. And the Borderlands as a region in the world of the Wheel of Time is heavily influenced by Asian culture. So there's a lot of things going on that made this scene come to be. And at first I was like, what the fuck? And then reading more into it, I was like, hell yeah, this is fucking awesome. That's amazing. Just I love when they bring in the real world cultures, especially of cultures that are really not well known and bringing them to the TV screen to inform the public and just let them know, like, this is where I just get my influences from. And I think it's really cool rather than just stepping to like the, the Christianity side of things or, you know, Buddha side of thing. You know, this is just something that's like really small and niche that they just felt like would be a perfect fit. And it was it really worked out for them. All right, deep breath. We got through all the White Tower stuff, which was probably like 70% of this episode. Yeah. Now we got our our heavy hitters next, right? We got Random Matt, and then we'll follow that up with Perrin and Gwaine. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the first little series of scenes we get from Random Matt is them arriving at the White Tower. We get a really nice shot of the city of Tarvalon. Rand has a nice little line where he says, he looked at the mountain, and he's like, I kind of recognize that mountain. That will obviously come into play later. It was funny when we were watching and everyone starts typing furiously when that comes up where it's like, write that down, write that down. Reminds me a lot of Olympus. Uh, Like, I'm pretty sure for Mount Olympus, like there is a small town located at the base of Mount Olympus who like are severely worshiping of like Zeus and all those bodies of power. And then there's Mount Olympus. So I was just really getting that kind of vibes. And especially with the, the picture of the mountain still going above the clouds made it even more so feel like that for me. That's funny you say that because I was also getting, you know, uh, <laughs> those vibes when they were talking about the old dark friends who have sworn themselves and have eternal life have been locked away. That was like the Titans from, mm. you know, the Olympus storyline. They were locked. They, yeah, they oh, were all, Hades, bro. Yeah, Hades comes out and unleashes them after they were locked away. So I'm waiting for, mm. okay, is somebody else going to come in and unleash these dark friends, um, sworn dark ones that have been locked away for eternity? It's just, it, there are parallels there. I don't know if they're on purpose or not, but it was sweet. And the shot of this mountain was cool. Was it, I assume it was from his visions or his dreams that he was getting. Is that just me? Or? Like him referencing that he's seen that mountain before. Yeah. I think that I don't think we've we as viewers have seen that mountain yet. I think that goes beyond the dreams of the dark one that he's having. Like, I don't think they've shown us him having a dream of a mountain personally. I, I thought it was in the one where he you could be right, where um, you saw Matt and Perrin like kind of losing their shit. The most like, recent pa- one like when yeah. Perrin was like beating the body. mountains, yeah. And Egwene got taken. I thought it was in the background. I could be mistaken. Mm. If not, I'll always throw back to the other theory. Maybe he saw it in his last turn of the wheel. In his yeah. other last okay. Time. That'd be interesting. No comment there. But all right, there's a couple things I want to just point out real quick before we can move to the next big Rand scene, I would say. Uh, the first opening shot, we have Matt looking absolutely chaotic. He's he's paranoid. He's he's looking madder and madder. He has his hood up. He like pushes a little kid that's running in the way. Calls him a little shit. And, yeah, exactly. And Rand... <laughs> is noticing all this. So he's taking this all in and then skip ahead a little bit. We're in the actual city itself. And this is just so good for book readers. We get the first of the series blood and ashes. Yeah. That's awesome because that's just something that's said all the fucking time in the books. I curses hearing that. I was like, damn, okay, this is their like 
exclamation of amazement. Like, yeah. wow, like I can't believe what I'm saying. It's blood and ashes. Dude, Matt says it like in his head, like every other line yeah. in the book. So it's crazy that Rand is the first one to say yeah. it. And also, Rand looks like a fucking beast with his like green cloak. He's got the bow tied around him. He looks awesome. He's he looks like a- Oliver Quinn for all you DC he really fans does, out yeah. there. His hair got a little bit longer too. I noticed as that, it should. That shot, yeah. Did it? Yeah, I didn't. I didn't catch that when he came on stream. I was like, damn, his hair does look a little bit, a little bit more grown out. His red curly cues. Yeah, they're long curls now. Definitely. Yeah. Is that why he seduced the the one woman to give him a sample for? He paid her. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, for a discounted price. He doesn't know. <laughs> he doesn't know any of the fucking costs. He just rolls up. That was also so smooth because. It, like that transaction went so quickly. I thought it was just yeah. like he just arrives in the city. And the, I mean, if you've ever watched people buy drugs on TV, <laughs> <laughs> definitely not in person. Yeah, no, never. Um, You just kind of very quickly. That's what it looked like to me. It almost. She actually the first time I saw it, I was like, dude, she probably just duped the fuck out of this yeah. guy. Doesn't <laughs> realize how much he just paid for a little thing. But at the same time, the next scene we get is them going into the inn of where Tom Marilyn gave him gave them the direction to go to. And she says, like, I can't believe a night here costs the same as a month back home. Mm-hmm. Well, not back home. What was it? Well, he, it's back home. It's the Wine Spring Inn, which Wine is Spring. the inn okay. from episode one that Moraine demolishes <laughs> and the only other little thing that happened in that scene that you're talking about is matt seems to not have a clear memory and he needs to be reminded that he wasn't the one that murdered the farm family and he's again going more and more insane and and also important Rand says the word fade not eyeless so we're going to keep using fade because it's way cooler way cooler uh, this scene confused me because i'm like come on man like we the do are we better detectives than you guys are like there was no blood on your knife. I don't know if it's a cursed knife and doesn't like he was get probably, stained by blood. He was just probably totally blacked out in that moment. Like he just he he. What I mean afterwards, like you can look at your knife and be like, all right, yeah, little girl. Blood he's still kind there. of like phasing out of that, like the fogginess of being possessed. I think I'll give I'll give it credit. Yeah, I think you're thinking way too rationally for someone who is pretty much if you it, were they're Matt, showing us that they're pretty he's pretty much being controlled by this dagger and he was not himself in the scene you yeah. were mad in that scene i could totally see paul just being the same way like i killed that family it's like no and then being completely fine <laughs> <laughs> paul was like yeah they deserved it <laughs> taking us in they should never take us in. but i don't know to be honest it's a month later and he's still arguing with himself so obviously it is a huge yeah. source of stress and concern for him mm-hmm. So Matt is in rough shape, falls onto the bed, and Rand goes out to explore the inn a little bit. So Rand finds himself in a library and meets a brand new character. So we gushed about this on the instant reaction. His name is Loyal. He is an ogier, not an ogre. Sorry, I said it wrong on the instant reaction. I love that little little line they threw in there because they did it also in episode four with Leandrin and Nynaeve's name. And she like mispronounces it a common way to mispronounce it. And then Nynaeve corrects her with the right way to say it. So they did the same exact thing here. I just love that little cheeky bit of of dialogue they throw in. And Loyal, though, finds Rand reading about the first drop name drop. Jane Farstrider. Well, no, doesn't he say the Carathian cycle? Yeah, he does. Which that's awesome. Yeah, I wrote that down because I knew that was going to be important. Then Kyle looked over and corrected my spelling because I was <laughs> so wrong. And that was definitely huge because he looked at it as if he has heard of it or, you know, recognizes it at least a little bit. The mountain effects could be huge. 
could be a mountain. Also, I want to say that I just want to use the term like whenever I meet somebody new, it's oh, Dave, your name rings in my ears. That's so cool. <laughs> and uh, Thor sings in my ears. <laughs> it's so good. Sings or rings, whatever. It's so cool. The ring. And then the fact ringing. that he's like, I like oddities. But uh, the reason that Rand recognizes his species kind of because he originally says ogre, whatever. Loyal says steading. And if you guys were paying attention to when Dana was, this is like a foreshadowing kind of thing that was going on when Dana is mentioning the things that she wanted to see in the world. I think it was to Rand. One of the things she lists is an Ogier setting. So that was a nice little foreshadow back in the in just to set up Loyal's appearance. Rand got to experience it before that bitch did. So well, he no, met an Ogier. He didn't meet go to the setting. Settings and oh, oh I thought you were saying okay. Yeah. Also, she's dead. So exactly. <laughs> yeah, he's gonna be checking a lot more things off her list than she will be. <laughs> most definitely. She was pretty much done as get as much as she could off and her of list. Of course, the big thing that I took away personally was the fact that Loyal noticed Rand's red hair and called him an eye ailment, which I definitely am assuming is going to come back later in some way, but I don't think Loyal's intelligence would steer him wrong in this situation. I just think Rand is, he doesn't probably know much about his himself and his backstory. And I think just from Loyal, just claiming that he was an eye ailment just already to me says that like, okay, I think Rand has a little bit more than just a simple farmer backstory. Dude, that line was so funny by Loyal. He's like, Oh, an Aielman who claims from the two rivers who claims he's not an Aielman. has no idea that he's an Aielman. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's just so funny. Yeah. That is an oddity. I like oddities. <laughs> yeah, but I really think that will come back into play. I think put on the board that Rand's backstory is not going to be just a simple. Was his dad a blacksmith or something? Or just he's just, a farmer. Farmer. Okay. Yeah. I just don't think it'll be a simple Sheep, farmer. Right? Sheep herder. Perrin was the blacksmith with his right. Wife. Okay. Okay. But which that, he killed. Just want <laughs> to put wanna, on the board. Did he? I, yeah, it murdered in cold blood. <laughs> this is just an amazing scene. This is one of the most iconic scenes from the first book. When we first meet Loyal, Rand has that reaction to him where he pulls out his sword. In the books, it's fairly similar in that Rand's very afraid of him. Loyal says in here that, you know, when I first came to Tarvalon, it caused an uproar. It's funnier a little bit in the books is that everyone thinks he's a trollic. So he was like, people were chasing me. That? People were chasing me through the streets with pitchforks and knives. And I was like, things almost got out of hand until the City Watch came. And that's like as upset as he gets. He was like, things almost got out of hand. Loyal's just the dude. Yeah. He, he just. He, yeah. I love that he didn't get offended by the sword being pointed at him. He's like, oh, typical human thought. Like, yeah. I don't blame you. I blame like your your biology. His take on everything that humans do is oh, the commentary is always so funny. Yeah. I love that you mentioned that he kind of looks like a trollic because I had that written down that he, to me, even on my first watch, just the face of like, I don't know if it's because he looks like a, like a, it's kind of like a dogish looking face, but that there's something there, I think for me, and especially him having intellect and trollics, not, I think there's something more there, but I could be just totally wrong. I'm just theorizing. Yeah. On the instant reaction, I was like, I, I had no idea what he was. I thought human had sex with a trollic. Yeah, that's, honestly, that's, that's literally what, what it, that's literally what it looks like to me. Yeah, least. but it wasn't us because we all killed the trollic in the bank. Kill Mary. Oh, true. Fuck you. yeah. True. Why would you not? I'm not Loyal's dad. And it is all. <laughs> Dave is Loyal's dad confirmed. <laughs> you're not. Um, What is it? Loyal son of Holland, son of Arendt. So you're not Holland. OK, I'm David, <laughs> son of Lan. Oh my god. <laughs> Freaking humans. So so frivolous with their thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> Paul is an ogier. Yeah, Paul is an You wish you were as much of a bro as loyal. <laughs> That's just me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So 
we meet loyal. Actually, the end of the loyal scene is that there's a little bit of a hubbub going on outside. We talked about it a little earlier in that the Aes Sedai are now parading the false dragon through the streets. And Matt is seen wandering out the window. So Rand's basically like, oh, fuck, I got to go. Loyal's like, yo, like, I'll let me get my shit. Like, I'll come with you. And he obviously takes too long to do so. Rand runs out on him. That made me feel a little sad. I'm not going to lie. Just didn't wait for Loyal. But Loyal's reaction made it okay. Ah, humans never taking time to properly prepare for what they are walking into. Boom. Put it on the The board. The zoom in of the camera alone on his face. Giving him the clear 15 seconds of screen time to say this. I can only assume we're going to foreshadow a, a big event going forward. So Rand leaves the inn. He tracks down Matt. They get, honestly, amazing seats to this procession. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, they climb up to some balcony, are just chilling on it, and get the perfect view down the street. Loghain is in his cage that we see him in initially that he melted down. So I guess we got a second one and everyone just starts tossing vegetables at him. I just love that this happens all the time. I'm sure it did happen in real life. It's just so funny that everyone just starts whipping vegetables at people that they don't like. But it's, it's always the good, like it's always the bright green lettuce and the bright red tomatoes. That's like, you would save these fucking fruits and vegetables. People comment about the show that people look too clean a lot <laughs> and that their the costumes are like too colorful and stuff. And I don't agree with any of that stuff. It's perfectly fine with me. But now that you're saying this, you're so right. Those were like <laughs> the most colorful, ripe vegetables I've ever seen. Such a like hot commodity in, in the, that time. Like you would throw the rotten ones because the rotten ones are the ones that would stank. So, but also- let's talk about this point, because this is what we disagreed with on the instant reaction is when. It starts having Logan pass random Matt, and then it focuses in on Matt looking directly at Logan, and then it switches to Logan's perspective, and Logan is looks up instantly at Matt, and then just starts hysterically laughing, and there's just like you know being ma- manic, and then um like and then Rand kind of calms Matt down, like what's what the hell's going on here? So do you still stand by that you think Logan actually did that, or do you think that Logan or Matt was just seeing that? I think that Logan actually did have a physical reaction to seeing Matt. You know, it kind of cuts real quick. And in between Logan hysterically laughing against the bars to cutting to Rand looking at Matt and then going back to Logan and Logan's kind of, you know, back on his back. It's, it looks like he didn't move. I, I want to say that Logan actually did it and laughed and then kind of fell back and. In Matt's eyes, it was like slowed down and emphasized because, like I said, real recognize real. Somebody who has previously had the madness, gone through the madness, is looking at somebody who has the new symptoms of going through the madness and just laughing at what Matt is going to have to deal with in the future. But I don't understand. I guess my question against that is why would matt see Logan freaking out and then just picture that in his head and not like you know what is the madness trying to say by showing Logan laughing at him so that's a good question but the reason that i want to write it off and i feel confident about it is because of how rand reacts like rand sees that matt is seeing this in his head is what my head kind of that's is. true. And yeah. he grabs him. He's like, Matt, what the, what the hell's going on? And if Logan was hysterically laughing and looking up at Matt, 
than I don't Rand. think Rand would have reacted that way. He would have been like, what the fuck? You know, so that's, that's the true. only reason that because the, the first watch through, I totally was just up in the air like it could have happened. It could have not. But after paying a little bit more attention this time, that's where my notes are leading me. But again, I could be wrong. It just looked like to me that it's Matt going crazy. That's a good point. I didn't realize like if Logan was hysterically laughing at Matt on the balcony, Rand would be like, yeah, OK, what the fuck is this? Bitch yeah, it'd doing? be harder to react like that. But you what side do you lean on? I have things to say about the scene that I can't say in the context of this conversation, but I do think they've really played into this whole hallucinating thing. I think that Matt hallucinated the kid only because the kid is like so far in front of them when Matt kind of sees him almost behind him, which I thought was a little odd. And then Loghain, yeah, like being up on the bars. And then the next time we see him, he's like way back lounging again where he started makes it seem like it was hallucinated. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I could definitely, I could see it being just a way of, you know, the darkness overtaking Matt because, you know, the darkness already conquered this one Loghain male body. It could be jumping to, or, or, or just leading to the fact that it is now overtaking Matt. And I think there is credence to your theory that it's Matt's mind exaggerating what's happening. I think it's possible that Loghain was looking at them, mm -hmm. but Matt's mind is taking it to that next intense level of he's laughing at me like a maniac. That's yeah. likely. I mean, these that event of seeing for Matt, at least of seeing Loghain hysterically laughing at him, whether he saw it or not, causes him to tell Rand, hey, if I ever like get even close to that, you better like stop me. Mm -hmm. Whether I and I took that as you better kill me before I get that bad. And, you know, he says, you know, Rand says, hey, you better do the same thing for me. He says, sure, you bet, whatever. Didn't seem like his whole, you yeah, know. Well, that was whack. <laughs> it did not seem like he was wholeheartedly saying, yeah, I'll kill you. It was more, I think he's just, if I go crazy, you better He's just wrapped me. up in it being himself. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's it. We can move on to the do last you, scene. That's a good question, though. Do you think Matt realizes he's going mad and his reflexes against everybody else is just the madness reacting? Or do you think Matt is reacting, saying, get away from me, I'm not crazy? I said it on the instant reaction, I'll say it again. I think it's something, not the one power, that's made, like, there's something inside of him that doesn't want to be let out. And I think that's why there, at any point when someone like tries to touch him or anything, he freaks out. That's just mine. Yeah, I guess I guess we should go over the next scene before I yeah, ask that question. The last scene is back in the inn, and we have our boy fucking loyal rolling in, yeah. just talking and talking and talking. And this scene is so freaking funny because he just the whole point of the scene is he found Nynaeve based on Rand's description of Egwene, right? Yeah, the braid. Yeah, yeah. So he goes, the braid is a is a coming to right, yeah. and he goes, nobody's listening. Nobody's no one's listening. listening. He comes in. It's a great reunion, and he's still talking in the back for like a whole minute. But we kind of went over a lot of this on in the instant reaction. Like this was such a great reunion because I felt like Rand, Matt and Nynaeve have not been together in so long. And it's true because they haven't seen each other since episode one. And, it, and it's good writing, good acting that it felt real. I just love loyalty when he, I'm pretty sure he starts the conversation was it was quite simple, really. <laughs> and then it just muted. In the yeah. Back. <laughs> This is a scene where when I talked about Stepan preparing for his funeral that we could have used maybe a little more time in. It's just a little rough where the last time we saw Nynaeve, it's Landry going, hey, maybe check out the gardens. And then Loyal's like, hey, 
I was in the gardens. Look who I found. I will say that's incredible that the, they did throw in those lines because I did catch that on the second watch through the little nod to 90 from Leandrin was saying, go here and then filling the plot hole of, okay, how did loyal find a in this giant, you know, white tower, them pointing, going to the, the same places is, is pretty phenomenal. I thought it was, it was a great explanation of why they were able to reunite. Yeah. And loyal does say that, Ogiers are permitted everywhere in Tarvalon. So that yeah. adds to it. You're right. That's good writing. It is quite the coincidence, though, isn't it? Dude, what about the coincidence that all roads lead to the tower? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> we all end up here. It. Yeah. What are the, it's nuts. All three storylines are like, oh, man, we're headed east. After Matt freaks out at Nynaeve, she handles it very well. Her and Rand have a conversation. Nynaeve basically says, you know, I'm proud of you for getting Matt to this point. Like it was amazing that you stuck by him and got him to the white tower. Rand says that he doesn't know if we can trust the eyes to die. Part of that, or actually even a lot of that has to do with Tom from episode three, telling him we can't let him go to these women because we can't trust them. So he's kind of believing in Tom's words. There mm. could be planting a bad seed in Rand's head, Paul, because mm. he might be Ishamil. Taking uh, taking advice from Dark Friend, that's not good. And also, that, that he, goes really well with Nynaeve's already established hatred of Aes Sedai. So it's like, yeah, she's like, once we get a Gwen and Perrin, we're getting the fuck out of here. We're not dealing with these Aes Sedai. And she tells a story about a Gwen and a fever that she had when she was younger. She tells it from the perspective of a Gwen. A Gwen, rather, is a fighter. She'll last. She's alive. We will find her. This is canon. This happens in the first book. Nynaeve thinks about this scene where Egwene had this fever when they were younger, and then she just gets better. It's interesting that they change kind of almost the reasoning of it, because in the books, it happens when Nynaeve first finds out she can channel. Lorraine is like, so you've never had a moment where like someone was so sick and then they magically got better and like only you could heal them. And then she thinks back to this scene when she was younger and she's now it's starting to hit her like, oh, my God, like I healed Egwene with the one power. OK, that was my big question, because we already obviously saw Nynaeve heal everybody. And then when she starts telling the story, I was confused of what Nynaeve's role was back when the story was happening. So was she just like basically a nurse? She was a helper to the doctor. She was the apprentice. So apprentice. she was basically what we meet Egwene in episode one, who was going to be the Wisdom's apprentice. Yes. That's what Nynaeve was. Okay. So, you know, all that coming together, I'm like, all right, why is Nynaeve telling the story when she's telling of somebody who was like deathly ill, but she was around? Maybe she like low key healed her because Nynaeve already healed. We already know she has incredible healing powers. I don't see that's that's another thing I don't know about. If if you have a giant source of power are you able to have a giant source of power in all fields of the channeling like if you have giant sources of if you have a giant reserve of magic are you able to heal as strongly as you are to destroy i'm sorry I, using like combat magic with that same amount of i power? think you're looking at it wrong i think the one power is like the pool that you then push through these things rather than like there's there's a healing power there's a battle power and you can tap into that i don't think it's like that i think it's more the one power can be manipulated through your affinities more efficiently of course but it's like you're pulling from the pool to do certain things rather than 
parts of the one power are meant for like healing parts of the one it's it's kind of a, it's yeah. a little weird concept but we're not really supposed to know though so okay yeah that's a big fat watch and find out yeah they do hint at it a little bit where they say Nynaeve is going to be a novice so that's basically Nynaeve is going to go to the tower that's mm-hmm. their understanding so we'll get more not I'm not confirming that Nynaeve is going to be a novice but we're going to learn a lot more about the one power because two of our main characters as Nynaeve and Egwene can channel so we're going to learn more about what we can do with it arguably matt rans matt went oh holy fuck all his <laughs> pronunciations baby rand is worried that matt can channel is is basically this whole conversation but let's do it there's not too many scenes left in this last storyline bucket but they are all hard hitting and this is our parent and Egwene storyline with the tinkers into the white cloaks I'm really proud of you for the one er. Yeah, yeah. Tinker. I've been thinking about that actually. <laughs> I love Playing that. too much uh Hearthstone? No, uh Midgard. <laughs> oh yeah. Playing uh, too much Midgard Tinker. You gotta upgrade the Tinker. We mentioned this on the instant reaction, but I really like how that this was the the slow moving bucket in episode four, and now it's become the the most fast paced scene of the the episode, I would say. So I really like how they're uh, diverting out like action scenes to each faction mm-hmm. so far. Yeah, that's a good point. It feels like each episode almost has its own main focus. Yeah, because Rand and Matt got some action in they the last the episode. Dana episode, and we, yeah. Lan and Nynaeve and all them got the war. And then now finally we get some action for, for Perrin and Egwene. Mm-hmm. Setting the scene of our Perrin and Egwene storyline, we are still with the Tinkers, like we said. We are near the you White Towers. Did I? I think you, said, just, you oh! said Tinkers. You oh said it. Yes. We're rubbing off on you. By the light. <laughs> blood and ashes. Blood, blood, yeah, and ashes. blood and bloody ashes. So speaking of the light, we run into some white cloaks. Yep. These fucking rat bastards. I'll say it. And the Tinkers, with their sweet, sweet souls, try to protect Perrin and Egwene. Our boy, Child Valda, Dave's boy, Child Valda, <laughs> sees the two of them in the line. Bring them to me. Like he said in episode two, he won't forget their faces. The Tinkers just, God, I love these people. They link arms to try to protect them. The White Cloaks obviously don't give a fuck. They start beating some ass. Mm -hmm. And I just, Aram brings Egwene and Perrin away to try to kind of circle around to a village that he knows. And they end up getting captured. The one thing I don't like about this scene is that how could they not hear these horses coming? Oh, I was like, Aram just gets like speared out of nowhere. It's all quiet, quiet, quiet. Okay. Horse teleports right like five <laughs> feet to his right and then destroys him. That was my big thing is like, all right, maybe we're going over a hill and there's a giant battle on the other side. But like you guys are running straight all of a sudden clotheslined out of nowhere. That was my big thing. I mean, if you're going to capture them, just capture them in line. Don't do this whole running away. But that being said, I don't know what the deal with Aram is right now. I don't know if he's killed. I don't know if he's knocked out. Dark friend. I don't know if he's dark. <laughs> no, that's not what I was this saying. This is all part of it. He meant to get them captured by the white yeah. cloaks. He's the way of a leaf dark friend. I, but <laughs> I don't know. Is yeah. he also Ishmael? Same person. <laughs> Ishmael's seven different people. Well, we did see in this scene that carving in the rock with three different faces yes i was gonna ask about that so maybe ishmael is tom aram and then a third person we haven't met yet in uh, oil yes <laughs> i'm gonna go. shut that idea down right now <laughs> no we are not bad mouthing loyal marine 
Yeah. Oh, that would be wild. That would be the best show ever. But and- to- <laughs> anyway, like them getting captured, I agree, Kyle. I wish they did it in a little bit different way. It's totally fine. I love that Valda was like, I never forget a face. I've seen you guys before. I mean, this is the upcoming scene, not to jump ahead, but saying, you know, the, the light doesn't bring people in front of me just by coincidence. There's mm-hmm. always a reason. And so I enjoyed Valda saying, hey, it's child Valda, child Valda, not Valda. That's fucked up. Child Valda was saying, you know, in episode was it, episode three, I have business down here. I'm going to go down here. And here he comes intercepting these two. Now, the faces on the rock, I did notice that in my first watch through, and again, noticed it on my second watch through. What does that mean? Can I ask that, or can I ask Paul the question of what do you think that means? Is uh, that dude, more, that's more reasonable? Okay, Paul, what do you think? Expressions, yeah, like, what do you think it means? Hear no evil, see no evil. Hear no speak, evil, see speak no, no evil. evil. Is that what it was? I, I don't know. Idea. I have no idea. But the fact that it's right outside of the White Tower makes me think that there is some ritual aspect to it was it it was three faces confirmed yeah it's Rubigo, interesting Easter that egg motherfucker it's interesting that three people were running away from the white cloaks in that moment too arm Egwene, and perrin so i i'm just literally just trying to put out theories and spark conversation but i did because it, it? Was it limestone limestone <laughs> green Nynaeve. No, it could be the and everything. It could be the stone of the rings. Like you melt that down, you could get yourself a nice fancy Aes Sedai ring. Sorry, we're kind of just totally yeah. going oh, off track here. My God. <laughs> Did Dave just crack the entire series there right there? Is. That yeah. might be the linchpin of everything right. that happens. <laughs> Let's move on to probably the most controversial scene. This is everywhere if you're looking online, but basically the white cloaks capture Egwene and Perrin. And then we have the whole, I think it's like, you could consider it like a cleansing scene of Egwene is mm-hmm. what it really is. Is and, and it's more just to focus on how evil and the children of the light are being evil. Like they're, they're cleansing her. And the thing that to focus on is that they unbraid her braid, which a lot mm-hmm. of people like to pull out and they don't put it back in. And that's like symbolism a little bit, yeah. but Either way, this the whole purpose of this scene is to to strip him down and then put him into the room where Child Valda can now begin his interrogation to find out what the hell is going on here. I mean, they were cleaning underneath her fingernails. Like yeah. they they made it a point to show that you better be completely cleansed before you go into the this higher up mm-hmm. of Child of the Light. Which and it feels good. It feels like in line with the theme of Children of the Light. Mm-hmm. Like you need and to they be don't cleansed. Give a, they don't give a fuck about your traditions, as in you know, the braid, they'll, yeah. they'll take that shit out because they don't believe it's right. They don't mm-hmm. care about what you think, which Noah Gwaine titties, by the way. <laughs> Good. I, I love her. I love her. I didn't want to see it. I'm just saying out there. It's a fact. We didn't see it. That you are stating a fact when okay. you say that. Okay. Gwaine and Valda have a really interesting conversation here. Perrin at this moment is gagged, so he can't talk about anything, but foreshadowing. I'm <laughs> <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Sure. Yes. For sure. Yeah. I'm just going to agree with you on that point. Valda basically is mocking her at this point. He is assuming in his child. Head, Valda is child Valda. True. Child Valda is mocking her at this point. He believes in his mind without a shred of doubt that she can channel. She is pleading like I am just a girl from a mountain village. Shouldn't have left. I'm no one. And Valda obviously just will not give up. And he turns to Perrin. He is clearly experienced with torturing people. He slices Perrin's back up like it's absolutely nothing. Mm. And 
I think that he has a really interesting line actually a little bit before this when he looks at Egwene and is like, what makes you think I'm a man who stands by his oaths? Mm-hmm. And we've kind of had this whole idea that the Aes Sedai have these three oaths that are sacred and they can't possibly break them. And now we're kind of contrasting that a little bit with their enemy in the White Cloaks. And this guy basically is saying that there are no rules for me. Mm-hmm. I will do whatever the fuck it takes to fulfill this mission that I have. And Egwene chirps back with one of my favorite, most badass lines she's put up so far in the series where she says, if you're going to kill me, just do it. But just know the next turning of the wheel, I'm coming back and fucking you up. And I just thought that was a great Egwene moment. Didn't even need to wait for the next wheel turn to get him fucked up. That's for (laughs) sure. (laughs) I honestly, I might be the minority here. I did not like that line. I was like, all right, Egwene, you are in no position to make threats. Like if you're going to do anything, like try to you know say hey your position in the white cloaks will be tarnished by not keeping your oath and you'll never be worthy but instead she's like nah i want to fucking slice you like the pig you are and i was like okay (laughs) but i did enjoy valda just showing his kind of like commanding dominance of you know bring him in tie him up tie her hands down i want to be completely safe while i do this interrogation Mm -hmm. It was actually a little bit of a theme for Egwene in this episode is that defiant spirit that she has. Nynaeve's story about her surviving the fever. She's kind of talking back to Valda in this scene where, like you said, she has no power. So they're kind of it's a little just a little bit of characterization of Egwene going on throughout this episode. We also kind of saw sorry to interrupt, but we also kind of saw that the tinkers are vegetarian. And that is why they didn't have enough muscle to stop the bitch slapping of the white cloaks beforehand. You want to uh, you want to have a lifting competition, Paul? We, <laughs> we can settle it. that. Yeah, sure. Just nothing with legs. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually OK with that. But before we get to the final final scene, we still have to finish off this child vault conversation where he now lays down the uh, the ultimatum. He starts cutting Perrin first to, to prove that he's not fucking around. He's going to murder one of these two. And while he's fucking with Perrin, though, we get a quick shot of his eyes starting to change color a little bit. And then that is, leads into his dialogue about saying, OK, the idea that the one power comes from anywhere else but the dark is absurd. I'm here to snuff that shit out. I'm going to give you guys two choices here. Either Egwene, you're going to channel and I'm going to kill you and let Perrin go, or you're not going to channel and I'm going to kill Perrin and let you go. And that's just a, to me, was just a mic drop moment. And he just walks out. And that was awesome. Fucker. It just makes you hate him so much. Yeah. But love him at the same time, too, because he's a great villain. Yes, dude. <laughs> he is. He is. His actor is amazing. Mm-hmm. I just love the way he delivers. Channel for me, girl. Yeah. It's really good. He's, he's literally thinking like, all right, either I kill an evil of this world who uses the one power or i kill one random person who means nothing and nothing else happens yeah he leaves them to obviously discuss this ultimatum and their discussion is actually very interesting so this was something that we were kind of chomping at the bit to talk about on the instant reaction and i know paul specifically has been waiting for this moment for a very long time so parent admits that he killed layla yeah and i'm just curious why is it this moment is it is it all finally hitting him like he even says like this is basically karma i deserve this i killed my wife i deserve to just die and be tortured 
That's the reason. Yeah, he's just coming to terms with like this is happening because of what I did in the past, even though that's not the case at all. But that's no, what he's, he's saying that he mind. can sacrifice himself for Egwene because he deserves yeah. to die yeah. anyway. So this is just a win, like a not a redemption, but like this is what he deserves, and you should live. I'm a bad person. I mean, if he is telling that to Egwene to make Egwene feel better about leaving him behind, yes, basically letting Perrin die. And to the the torture, I love that. That I'm totally behind that, and I think it's great. Yeah. Okay. Cool. And also, this is where the part of the scene where you start to subtly hear wolves in the background. I yeah yeah yeah. They were fucking as soon as he got cut a little bit. It was oh yeah yeah yeah. But I just what I said. I believe. I hope that's what it was. If it was just Perrin, like finally being confronted with the realization of killing his wife, I would be upset because they had that whole Matt giving the knife to Perrin before. But like you guys said, I I really hope that it was just him saying, yo, Egwene, it's cool. I'll die. You go ahead. I think that's it. And I'm also going to put the prediction on the board that we might even get another follow-up final like closure uh, conversation maybe in the next episode where Egwene says, like forgives him a little bit, I guess, and like tries to relieve his burden. And if that's the case and that conversation happens, I think your first point is what it was. I just love Egwene here, just comforting Perrin and just letting him know that even though she wasn't there to watch what happened, she still is comforting him in the fact that, you know, what he did was a mistake. Like anyone could have made that mistake and been put in the same shoes that you were, but you just got to be strong and just look past that. Like you had a, Everything that she was saying was just hitting home for me, and it made me like Egwene a lot more. I didn't like. I would say she wasn't one of my favorite of the the potential DRs out there, but this scene definitely brings a little bit more boost to her for me as a character. On the boost towards Perrin's side, we have talked about this loud ringing noise that is in his ear, especially when he killed his wife in episode one. We do hear it as soon as Valda starts to cut into him. Not only you kind of hear the wolves in the background, but you do hear the high pitched ringing. And I don't know. It seems to be like a woman wailing or like a high pitched tone of that. But, mm-hmm. you know, when he was killing the Trollic and ended up killing his wife, he heard that ring. We've heard it a few times since. And he does hear it as soon as Valda cuts into him and his eyes turn to yellow wolf. Fucking, mm-hmm. I want to kill Al- you eyes. Alki would kill us if we didn't say, yeah, the eyes of Perrin in that scene were the exact same as the eyes of the wolves that were eating all the white cloaks. So mm-hmm. whatever that is, who knows? But to take us there, the last thing that happens is we decide, at least between Perrin decides he's going to be the one to die because obviously Egwene's not channeling. Egwene says, you're good. I'm relieving you your stress. You're going to live. You're going to forgive yourself. And then she conjures up the little bullshit fireball that's mm-hmm. going to be the distraction. And I thought that scene was awesome because... Kyle, you made it obvious that the re- whole reason of the scene in episode one of her drifting down the, the river was to help her envision the way that she's going to be touching the one power. Mm-hmm. And she channels channels. She taps into that two channel in this scene. And that was cool. She she makes the fake out fireball and then lets Perrin out. And then all hell breaks loose as the wolves, the wolf howling in the background just starts going crazy. And we get a nice Egwene stab right in the fucking shoulder of child, child Valda. Love that. Fuck that guy. Was Loved seeing him just writhing on the ground, just begging for his life, too, right before Perrin was going to crush him, whoever, whatever he was going to do. But love seeing that uh, Egwene strong moment and then Perrin breaking out 
using his wolf abilities. That's my biggest question mark still right now is what are his abilities? Um, he obviously gained some form of super strength from that. It seemed like he wasn't just, well, she released, I mean, I know she released him, but it also seemed like he was more like he was drugged up almost like he, he could have lifted a car in that moment. He certainly seemed like he was in some type of trance. Mm -hmm. He was not really moving quickly towards Valda. He was kind of lumbering towards him. He had that look in his eyes. And after Egwene stabs him, he kind of like shakes his head and comes to, and Egwene even gives him a quick look like, what the fuck was that? Yeah. But obviously they don't have time to talk about it because they got to get the fuck out of Dodge. Mm -hmm. I absolutely was so pissed off that they didn't just dissect his body into multiple (laughs) pieces. I was like, dude, this fucking bitch. It's so much hatred and damage. Just cut him out into multiple pieces. Just. Just don't stab him. Give him like one more knife sticking in there, you know. Well, hey, you're like one or like seven. Yeah. You know, <laughs> seven. I seven just they just had kind of places to be. Yeah, I I mean the the wolves howling in the background was so prevalent at this point. Like you didn't really kind of understand what was going on. Was until they else. run out of the tent and then they see as they on their they're on their getaway. They encounter a bunch of the wolves eating a lot of the white cloaks. Perrin and Gwen are even stopped by one, but Perrin looks at the wolf and then looks at Gwen and is like. He's not going to hurt us. Don't worry. Let's just go. And then the wolf ends up running Why by. Not? Him. Why isn't the wolf going to hurt them? That was Perrin's brother, the wolf, wolf king. Who said? Did you say wolf king? Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Last turn of the wheel, he was a he was a wolf king. I'm riding with the. I wolf I thought king. you said werewolf. I think where no, I changed my mind after seeing this episode. I don't think there's. I don't think he's going to become a wolf in any way. I just think he'll maybe have like strength, but he'll definitely have the ability to control wolves. That's just. A Do fact. you think he will have sex with a wolf? By the end of the season, yes, <laughs> I hope I'll say yes. On the board, Amazon. End of next season. No, 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 end of next season. How about that? Put on the board. So they give us a lot of very obvious breadcrumbs about Perrin's connection to the wolves, but I, I honestly think that it came full circle really well. It wasn't supposed to be. I feel like this big secret. It's more of a question of like Dave saying, "What kind of connection is it?" Not if there is a connection. Mm-hmm. And this scene was just satisfying as fuck, especially as I am a Perrin fanboy. So it's just nice to see my boy kind of taking these steps to become the man that I love. He didn't even stab all is the crazy part. It was all like Wayne. Mm-hmm. Badass. Yeah. Which he hasn't like, done like any violence since episode one. I, yeah. It's like way of the leaf, but all the same. It's like fucking God damn. This dude just carved a tic-tac-toe board into your like left shoulder. <laughs> all right. But I think that's about it. I think we should wrap up with our final two segments. We're going to do every episode. Starting with, I want your guys' guess on, like, give me an updated guess on who you think the dragon is. Did it change? Did it stay the same? And if it did stay the same, give me reasons why. Uh, I'm going to say it's still naive. Um, I don't really have a reason why. I don't think anything progressed any of the other uh, potential DRs to boost my ratings in them. So I'm just going to stick with her. I think Perrin's ability is going to be unrelated to the dr which honestly if anything might lower my rating of him becoming the dragon reborn i think how can you be a dragon reborn if you're controlling wolves like it's bullshit so i I think that's kind of lowering his his value there but naive do you think do you like paramore as a character now though do you think yeah no i definitely parents still probably of the four from uh villa what's the call village field emmons field i'd say he's probably my Nah, Matt, Matt. 
But okay. I, parents still is very cool. I think parents my number two. Yeah. Look at me just fishing for parent compliments. Over yeah. There. <laughs> Stroke me a little bit here. Stroke me in the parent. But Matt, I will say really quickly before we get Paul's insight, I think Matt, this episode increased Matt's potential for DR, but still naive has the, the all power for me. So to be honest, I might double back a little bit. A Dillman double back for all you Brooklyn Nine-Nine fans out there. But I originally thought Gwen would be the DR. Then Nynaeve, because of episode four, I think she might be the DR. But now, I don't know which of the two I think is the DR. So I want to think. I have to pick? Yeah. You have to pick. Um, I'm going to go with Nygwene. Um, all right, fine. I'll stick with Nynaeve, but I will say that the use of Egwene's one power this episode, I mean, she channeled what once before when Moraine showed her the, the jewel and telling her the you know flow with the river. So I will say, I think her probability went up a little bit because of this, Egwene that is, but I still am going to stick with Nynaeve for the DR. Now I'm thinking about it too. This is emphasizing the more of the fact that I think it's naive and Matt is that I think Egwene is still going to be set to become an Aes Sedai. I think an Aes, like she won't be able to be the DR if she's an Aes Sedai and that Rand will be her warder leaving Perrin and Matt as potential the two lead candidates for them. But I, like I said, Parents' uh, objective is wolves. That's not dragon related. So Matt gets a boost, that's, but then Nynaeve. that's a good thing. I'm gonna rate my likelihood of DR. I think yeah, it's going to be Nynaeve, Egwene, Rand, Matt, and then Perrin. Perrin being the least likely to be mm-hmm. DR. My guess updated is definitely after this episode, Child Vada, because they had to tear down our boy, bring him down to the oh lowest rung, and then now it's time for the redemption arc, and then he's just going to get all the powers. Fucking he's kill himself. Him I didn't even hear what you just said because yeah. it was just so insufficient. Fucking book readers. Dude. Yeah, book readers. You know who's going to be the DR? Arya Stark. So my guess, my updated guess at this point, because I'm going to change mine from Tom Marilyn, I believe that Paul has kind of convinced me that he is going to be a forsaken named Ishmael. Yes. Or Ishmael. That name's just tough. Honestly, yeah. people, when they talk about it online, just call him Ishi. Mm. It's a little easier. Like but I'm going to say loyal mm. because that man is too great to not be as important as the Dragon Reborn. He's very loyal to the Wheel, wheel of Time. It's just straight main character vibes off of loyal. 100%. All right. Let me lead us in final segment. A little bang, kill, marry action here for all the folks out there. At the end of our episodes, we like to do a little BKM. And everything that we vote here as individuals for the BKM will affect the actual story of Wheel of Time. So those are the considerations we have to take into account when doing this. We're just going to do our Amon's Field boys here. We're just going to do a little Matt, Rand, and Perrin. First. first. (laughs) Paul's trying to go first. I'm going first. (laughs) So I am obviously going to marry our our sexy Aielman. Rand, right? Mm. Big Red. I like to call him Big Red now. It's a new Big thing. Red standing by. So I'm I'm marrying Rand because he's got clearly the least amount of baggage compared to the other two, and for sure, you have to bang Matt because how the hell are you going to marry Perrin or anything? Because he's yeah. going to fucking kill me. That's yep. And he's a little beast. I don't know what's going on with him right now. So I'm going to bang Matt. And it's going to be whack because he won't let me touch him. But we're going to kill Perrin. So we know Luke doesn't think Perrin's the re- Dragon Reborn. Because otherwise, you'd have just killed the dragon reborn right there. So, all right. Well, I am going to 
kill Matt because he's got some darkness inside that is going to want to do some dark things that I'm not down with. So fuck him and his quadruple way with <laughs> joking the rest of them. So then I'm going to marry. I got to marry Rand, right? Rand is just going to treat me right. He's honest. He'll do every like lights on missionary. It'll be good. And then I'm obviously going to bang Perrin because he's got the animal inside of him that will destroy you if you do it all the time. So you just got to yeah. just once, just once to see what it's like. Yeah. Perrin has a hundred percent kill rate with his people that he marries. Yeah. I don't want to marry him. Fuck yeah. that. I'm up. I am going to kill Matt because like every like rather like Paul said, he's got this darkness thing going on. He doesn't really listen. I feel like land kind of clearly said, Hey, we're in this super haunted evil city. Like, don't touch anything. Can you sexually transmit the darkness? Probably. That yeah. thing was crawling out of him. I'm sure it could crawl it's into you. Sexually, yeah, out of his mouth. It's an STD. It's sexually transmitted darkness. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> I will then. I'm going to bang Rand. Mm, you you, you start it with Marion Perrin and work backwards. You motherfucker. Yeah, <laughs> but there's reasons. So I'm going to bang Rand. Rand's a nice guy. He's just like. He's just that vanilla guy, though. I feel like it's one time. That's what I said. Lights on missionary. Maybe maybe we're drunk at a bar. We run into each other. He's obviously very handsome, but it's kind of it happens. And I'm like, you know, that was nice, but it was nice just one time. Perrin, on the other hand, this hunk of a man, like we've said, OK, he's got 100 percent kill rate, <laughs> but he is going to overcompensate so hard through doggy style with his next spouse. Because of what happened, like he is going to be waiting on you hand and foot. If I say anything, he's going to be like, yep, yeah, I got you. Yeah, I got you. He will never, ever let me down. He's never let me down through 14 books. That's a good point. So Perrin's my guy, me and him forever in a day. Oh, Perrin, I want this. I'm on it. Yeah, I'm on it, dude. Yeah. All right. Finish strong, Dave. Also, we're going to have so many pets. Oh, shit. We're just going to live with a bunch of dogs and wolves. It's going to be sick. Yeah, I think I'm gonna kill Rand. Whoa! What the fuck? Like I said, I don't. I, I I'm trying to save the Dragon Reborn here and just Rand kill the just nicest man, dude. Yeah, he doesn't fit my mo right now. He's not the Dragon Reborn, so excuse my me, get out, get out of here. I'll bang Matt because I'll tell you that that darkness in him. Yeah, let him rearrange my insides. So <laughs> Dave is a dark friend. So Dave is a forsake. He's ishy. He is so, he's the third face of issues. Yes. I think Matt's got some some kinkiness in him that I think would be great for a one night stand. So I'll bang Matt and then I'll marry Perrin because like Kyle said, he's got the doggos, he's got the wolves. We'll just have a big loving family of dogs who'll wait on me. It's just and then kill you. Nah, if anything, I'm just so strong. I just wouldn't even like the axe would just break on my ass. You don't kill Perrin, he'll <laughs> kill you. Wait, so we went you two married Rand, Luke and Paul. And Dave and I married Perrin, and but Matt only got flipped. one one night stand or two one night stands. Only one. I was the only one to bang him. No, so we were different. I, we were different across the board. I think I right? killed him. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I killed him. Did you? Yeah. Did you though? All right. All right. Episode five deep dive. I said it on the instant reaction. This is an episode that will just age like fine wine. We're gonna look back on this episode and love it. We hope you loved our podcast episode about it. If you did. Maybe throw us a follow on Twitter, Instagram at Bingetown TV. We have a Patreon, patreon.com slash Bingetown TV. Bunch of fun celebrity interviews on that. We're working hard to put out as many 
Patreon videos as we can. Um, we cover a lot of other TV shows. You can go to our website, bingetowntv.com. You can go to us on Apple or Spotify, Bingetown TV. You can look through our whole discography of all of the things that we've covered. Sci-fi and fantasy is our jam, but we like to branch out every now and again. And that's all I got. So, peace. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.